Media Camp, and today I'm here with Alexandra Coat, a content marketing freelancer from Romania uh, who runs her own brand, has courses on Udemy around copywriting and writing, and posts on LinkedIn and YouTube and other channels. Um, so Alexandra, she writes long-form content, long articles, blogs, that type of stuff. Um, we're talking about how she makes content, uh, what's her process, how does she do SEO research, how is she finding clients, what kind of results she's seen with her own content on the platforms she's active on. Really interesting conversation. I've learned a lot from SEO perspective. This is not my forte. So give it a listen. Okay, I'm here <laughs> with Alexander Cotin. Alexander, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. You're, uh, you're joining us from far away from Romania. Yes. <laughs> how, how are things over there? Uh, honestly, like everywhere, especially with the lockdown situation, but we are not under lockdown anymore, but the situation is still pretty bad. So, yeah. <laughs> you've been uh, you've been a content writer. You've been doing a lot of freelancing before, so I feel like you have a, mm -hmm. a lot of muscle build up just before this whole thing happened. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I worked... Initially, I started in digital marketing and I did that for roughly three years, but I gradually started doing freelancing on the side. Uh, and actually last month was my first month as a full-time freelancer. So this was exciting because it was something I had planned to do for quite a few months, but you know, the whole situation appeared. So it made the decision even harder, but um, you know, for anyone who's starting, who's thinking of starting mm -hmm. a career, in freelancing, I think you all you have to do is, of course, freelance on the side of your full time job, and then just you know save up some money just to be sure that you have the financial parts in check, and uh, also ensure that you will have uh, a couple of long term clients. Mm. How do you, how does it feel? How, how does it feel to to be a full uh, full uh, time mm -hmm. freelancer right mm -hmm. now for you? Yes. Uh, personally, I am very much motivated by promoting my own like business. So I am, you know, when you're working for someone else all the time, it's harder to do that promotion in your free time as well. When you are promoting yourself, you don't feel like you're working. So that is just much easier for me. <laughs> That's a great definition. I really like how you said it. That's true, though. And it's also one of those things where I've I felt like when you're working full time and then you post something during a work time, you know, your boss can mm -hmm. see it. and You're like, yes. oh, what yes. is this person thinking, doing? Yes. yes. And you start thinking that this is not OK. And it's also uh, keeping you from promoting yourself at the right hours when maybe there's, you know, some news that pops up and you want to be the first to talk about that, you can't really do that because you're stuck with your full-time job. But, um, you know, if anybody's watching this mm -hmm. and they haven't started their careers yet in anything, I actually do think it's best to start with a full-time or part-time job to kind of get to understand just how, you know, the tech world works or whatever your industry is and just get those, um, soft kind of skills outside of your uh, main expertise and then yeah, just think, jump onto freelancing. I think Gary Vee says like, oh, you have to pay your dues and all of that. But, and it's true though, mm -hmm. right? You have to know like how the, how the company works 
uh, and but I mean, because end of the day, you're going to be selling selling something to them. Um, uh, because I mean, everybody wants to be a YouTuber, but you need like you need a lot of good videos to 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 yes. do that full time. Yes. Yeah. So you uh, I think you've been posting on LinkedIn. You 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 actually do a you do you actually focus on so many different channels, like like a mm -hmm. ton, like YouTube website, you did a little bit of medium, uh, you do courses in Udemy, uh, but let's start with LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, I think you've been posting uh, quite a bit. I think for the last nine months, I went back to your, to your <laughs> timeline. <laughs> uh, I am currently focusing, you know, I have a couple of recurrent clients, so I'm not necessarily looking for new clients. Uh, so I keep my uh, just pro personal promotion and just inside sharing on LinkedIn at the moment, mostly. I've been doing that for uh, seven, eight months, and I try to post, uh, you know, I aim for three times per week, but I also do want to only post if it's something really valuable, because otherwise I'm not going to get any engagement on the post. And that's just for me, that's kind of a wasted post. So, yeah. Definitely. No, I think your posts get pretty good engagement. Uh, how do you uh, define or how do you find things that are cool to post? Mm -hmm. Let's say just well, start with LinkedIn. Yes. It's either things that I come across. For example, I try to post once a week something interesting from digital marketing or UX, anything from an interesting menu to just how a blog post is structured, a pop-up, anything like that. And I share that. But my most uh, the posts that bring in more engagement are the ones where I discuss an issue when my network, something that maybe you haven't discussed anywhere else or uh, if there's a change to the LinkedIn algorithm, Google's algorithm, and it's just rolling out, right. uh, I just like to talk about it as early on as possible. Yeah, and you, you bring your perspective too, right? I think I saw a few posts yeah. that I think it was uh, you you uh, talked about LinkedIn. It was the LinkedIn deprioritizing boring posts, and uh, I've actually never seen anybody posting about it. Uh, the situation is that currently they've introduced dwell time to their algorithm. So if people don't spend enough time on a post, that post is not going to be placed as higher in another person's feed. But if you have uh, an engaging post that's longer, that actually has something to say, you know, where, where you tackle unique ideas, people yeah. are going to spend more time. They're going to be writing something, and that is just going to be placed higher. Hmm. No, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, some posts are just like go like they go dead so quickly. Even even though like in theory you have twenty four hours until LinkedIn yes. can like until LinkedIn can actually gather all the the views, but then if posts don't really get anything in like a few hours, then they're probably not yes, gonna yes, yes. get any. It's engagement. a matter of it's actually a matter of two to three hours when the decision is made. And it's really just about the algorithm and what you have to offer. And, and you posted, I think, a tutorial, uh, which you did really well, How, like it was around migrating your content from me Medium, was it? Medium. Yeah. To Medium. Yeah. Uh, how, yeah. do you find, how do you find posts in this? Uh, because it was a, quite a long one. I think it was like eight minutes. Uh, how do you find... Mm -hmm. um, like what, what are the thoughts around it? Like posting long, longer form video tutorial on LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. Well, the 
I just wanted to talk about that issue since you don't find that many people talking about that. And the thing is that there are so many details to the process that I feel like I have to share at least most of them. So that's how the video ended up being longer. And I didn't really make that tutorial uh, thinking that it was going to be specifically for LinkedIn, but knowing that I would be helping someone for shorter videos that you create in particular for LinkedIn, yes, you can just think of something small that you could cover through a short video instead. Right, right. Uh, talk to me about your, uh, just the strategy in general. Um, like you have uh, all these channels, uh, YouTube, website, um, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. I assume you're doing it all by yourself, right? Yes. <laughs> How do you, like, what do you focus on the most? Where do you spend your, the most mm -hmm. of your time on? Well, my main target right now is just, you know, maintaining my top leadership, just creating some kind of brand, personal brand awareness, and maybe getting on some more clients. So for this, I have kind of separate goals with, with each channel. For example, I have my blog where I use it mostly to kind of write more unique topics that uh, I can present my own personal opinion and that maybe some other media outlets would not accept because it's maybe too personal or something like that. And besides that, I do a lot of outreach, like sending in a quote for another post or just getting backlinks to kind of grow the authority of my blog. Uh, I haven't been focusing so much on SEO for my blog. I right. do have some posts that rank and bring in traffic, but that is not uh, my main focus because it requires a lot more mm -hmm. time than, you know, just writing the same article for another website that already has the traffic. So I've been doing some guest posting on the side, but I do tend to only write on uh, websites where I know that they have traffic and example, entrepreneur, content marketing right. institute, tribe global. So yeah. And then, um, I do LinkedIn because that's where I've seen most results from. And mm -hmm. there I just, uh, I basically share my thoughts that are shorter than what I would write via my blog. Sometimes I kind of, uh, reuse the content I have on my blog and yes, like a snippet, right? It. Yes, but um, I, I also, tar uh, you need to make sure that you target it to the network. I can just copy it and paste it. So yeah, the I context. also do some, yes, I also do some Twitter, but not as much because for me, Twitter is just all over the place. There's just different interests with it. It's not just business. So yeah. And YouTube I've been doing honestly, just for fun. That's why most of my uh, videos are not content related. I, I, uh, we can talk about this later on, but I started uh, basically creating tutorials for design tools that weren't as popular, just to make sure that maybe they had a tutorial, a review on that. And some of them worked, some of them didn't, but yeah. I mean, you get, kind of, you got, you got really good engagement. Like I, uh, I, as a, as a Canva that. user, as a Canva mm -hmm, user, I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it depends on the video. I have videos with thousands of views. I have ones that have just 100 views. So 
I think this is valid for most channels that are not entertainment related. Uh, because for most entertainment channels, they are kind of, they, the videos, since they have lots of subscribers, they also have roughly the same views. In my case, it's a lot about how my videos rank. For example, I have a tutorial for Adobe Spark. Now mm -hmm. that tutorial also ranks uh, if you Google Adobe Spark tutorial. So that's how the views also come in. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, I also do the courses, but I'm guessing you have another question for that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know you do. A, you, and you do Udemy courses they, because you did a breakdown of your uh, of your earnings on YouTube, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> with regards to bringing new clients and talking to new clients, would you say you get them on mostly on LinkedIn or would you just get an email inquiries because you're doing guest posts on websites? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, my very first client, and sometimes I still do that because I like choosing my own clients is I just got them through cold pitching. So I basically inquired if they wanted to work with a content strategist. And mm -hmm. of course you send thousands of emails, but you do get some positive feedback at some point. Besides that, I then moved on to, uh, there is this website, it's called Pro Blogger, and they have jobs listed for freelancers where, you know, companies who want to work with a freelance writer um, post their ads. And then gradually, yes, I started writing guest posts and I started getting um, messages from people who had seen my content, either on these right. blogs or um, with my former employer. I wrote a lot of blog posts for them, so yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but as an idea, I also do get a lot of inquiries on LinkedIn and Twitter sometimes, but yeah. Have you seen, no, that makes, makes a lot of sense. I mean, you definitely, you definitely start from outbound. Oh, you definitely start with the cold outreach at first. Cause I mean, you, uh, unless you, you're, you're okay to go. Uh, and create a ton of content and then you get inbound inquiries of like, oh, mm -hmm. you're so awesome. Then let's work together. Yes. Well, the thing is that of course, when you get started, you need to have your portfolio and do the guest posting. And then you're going to start cold pitching because you can't just work for someone if you don't have experience in that field. Yeah, exactly. What do you see right now with your, let's say, um, number of clients that you're getting or uh, potential opportunities that you're getting, are they mostly coming from inbound or um, are you still doing some cold emails every now and then? Mm -hmm. I, uh, the most inquiries are just coming to me. I don't do anything to like nourish that relationship or it's just people who find me on LinkedIn or on other websites. But uh, part of my constant promotion tactic, which I'm aiming to keep, even if I have uh, clients, is just networking a lot with people on LinkedIn. So what I've been doing over the past few months is trying to maintain relationships uh, with, you know, as many people in the industry as possible, not necessarily to get uh, to work for them, but you know, right. to just have someone to talk to about certain things. So yeah. Sure. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, are you? Uh, I got a video message from you. Are you also? Yes. Are, you, are you? Are you? Are you doing like? Uh, are you doing video um, mostly, or are you like trying A/B testing? Like, I'm gonna send a video messages to these people. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try, mm -hmm. or to other people, I'm just gonna send a message. Uh, for the past, let's say two months, I've been sending videos to almost everyone except for the people where I can't pronounce their names, just to be <laughs> sure that there's no. <laughs> issue so uh that has been working quite well i mean i'm not getting clients this is not my aim with these videos i'm just you know talking to some people and it's just nice seeing that uh you know i'm also giving them an idea because most of them say that they haven't gotten a video like this before but uh what i don't like is that some people don't answer at all and i'm like i've spent minutes on this Sometimes I do the research before to kind of see what other uh, interests they have and to know what we could be talking about, you know, find a common interest and so, but they don't answer at all. So. But, but, you know, like, and I've, I've had those people too, and a lot of them, and, and I think it's a good thing. And mm -hmm. here, here's why it's a good thing, because you're gonna, you're no, um, it tells you quite a lot about the person. And if you have invested time yes. in sending a message and it's relevant and they didn't bother even sending something back, then it means that you shouldn't even like, you shouldn't even spend any more time on yes. the relationship at all. So like it, it yes. is similar yes. to employment, right? Yes. Uh, it's good that you mentioned this because, you know, in their case, they probably don't even spend that much time on LinkedIn, but, uh, What's important for, you know, anyone who's doing cold pitching, for instance, uh, to understand is that, uh, first of all, you can't just go on and the first message that you send shouldn't be just promotional because you need to kind of start a different type of relationship based on just sharing information. But if you're going to be sharing, you know, just sending a message that just tells something, you can't expect that person to answer and just keep following up because if they didn't answer the first or second time it means that honestly they're not interested and you know you have as you said it's not a bad thing you know it just clears it all up and you know that you have some other places to look into yes um i mean there's also this uh, group of people who like to use automated software and i'm sure you get those messages all day long like, hey, let's connect. We are like, mm -hmm. we have similar interests, and then they mm -hmm. hit you with this uh, mile-long yes. uh, piece of uh, message that has links and all of those things that you don't want to look at. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's interesting. But I mean, honestly, I think like when you have a good intent and you don't really want anything from people, like it's amazing how well it works when you are genuinely interested. You're like, hey, like I've seen you posted about something, and you it really piqued your interest. You just say, hey, this is really cool. Here's what I'm doing. Would you be would you be open to chat? Here's what I wanted to ask you about or something like that. It works so well. Mm -hmm. Lots of freelancers actually use this. It's a type of like warm pitching uh, when you're building the relationship and then trying to get um, a business profit oriented relationship out of it. Uh, so many freelancers have experience with this more than I do, definitely. And um, it is very, it's something that works very often. So, yeah. Why didn't you um, do videos on YouTube that show you? 
you you do mostly on-screen recordings. I'm just curious, like it's got to yes. be a part of a strategy or something. Uh, it's not necessarily a strategy. No, I've been thinking of introducing, uh, like, you know, if you film a video with Loom, it uh, also can record your face or so. But uh, I don't right now, since I don't really make any profit from that channel, I don't want to be spending too much, you know, time, resources and all that into it. So it's honestly just easier for me to film, to, to do a screen share instead of edit everything. So it's not a strategy of some sort. Right. Okay. Uh, tell me about your, it's a UDB courses. Uh, how, how many courses okay. have you done so far? Okay. So first of all, I have courses on Udemy and on Skillshare as well. I have three courses on Udemy, but I have gradually moved on to Skillshare where I have uh, two more courses because I do see uh, just the students on Skillshare are different and uh, they watch the courses. <laughs> on, honestly, I have, uh, the thing on Skillshare is that you get paid based on uh, the minute your students view from the course. On, mm -hmm. on Udemy, they just pay for the course and One you time, get a right? very, yes, and you get a very small part of that in return because Udemy takes most of it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I started with Udemy because well, first Skillshare wasn't that popular at the time and I wanted to get a, to create a course that was for marketing beginners at the time and um, a course that was free. So, and, and this was on writing, right? This was on how do you write articles? No, the first one was just on digital marketing secrets for beginners. It was, you know, the basics, but also I wanted to touch into kind of some interesting details that I personally bumped into and uh, that others maybe would like to know before they mm -hmm. uh, end up uh, coming across them. So the course was free because this was the purpose for it to be free. I kept it like this for uh, a couple of years and then I started making more courses, including the one on writing. Now, what I did with the content writing course and uh, you know what I recommend for anyone who's thinking of starting a course is to kind of find you know, that one thing they are good at mm -hmm. and that is not in other courses. In my case, that was showing my writing process exactly as it is from the start until, uh, you know, the very moment before I publish it. Right. So I took students from, you know, the SERP research, everything you need to understand about the SEO part. Uh, and I went into quite too many details because I've gotten comments that that part is way too long, but this is the purpose of the course to show you that that research part is honestly more important than the writing part itself. So then I took them through writing, editing, optimizing and all that. Interesting. Uh, and you know, it's so funny because it does remind me, uh, I was, I also did a course on Teachable back in the day. It was around finding your job. Um, I didn't really do much with it because um, it, I quickly switched into more of a marketing direction, but I also did uh, the first few takes were extremely long. And I'm like, well, people are not going to watch that. It was like 10 hours of like less than two, less, you know, just the first, first half of the course was super long. 
you just you just end up going into too way too many details versus like hey let's make it really concise because even though it's great info people are not going to watch it anyways mm -hmm. The thing with you know courses and content in general is that as a creator, you tend to focus on writing the things that are important to you and just giving details on those aspects that you think matter above all of the others. But your readers, and that's why you have to do the, the reader intent search and just analyze what people want is because the reader will want to you to focus on different aspects as well what do you think um from writing articles or coming up with um coming up with content for let's say your clients what are some of the things that you do that others don't um in a way that makes content perform obviously you have seo research you do all of these things and and other people do them too but like are there any areas that are really important and maybe under undervalued or overlooked yes yes um, so again, the most important part would be the research part. When you really look into what you, what you can write about and is unique, what, uh, how you can differentiate your content, then you're going to write it. But honestly, as long as you have the structure, anyone who has some experience in the field can write it in a decent manner. And of course you're editing it, of course. Uh, the keyword optimization and all that goes into place. But something that's important and honestly, not many of my clients focus on is after you've published a piece of content. And I'm not talking about promotion, but mm -hmm. about updating that piece of content, article, ebook, whatever it is. I'll give you an example. I had this, um, it was a guide to becoming a project manager. And it ranked well, it was in top 10 for two years, but I've updated it on a monthly basis because there were some like salary and aspects like that, that I needed to update. And it took two years and a couple of months for it to be first. And I think now if you Google project manager, it's going to be either first or second, mm -hmm. but there, you know, I have updated it on a very regular basis. I've you know, changed links, internal links and all that. So there is a lot of that work that requires a lot of time. So, you know, there's, there aren't that many uh, people, business owners who wouldn't want to take the time and pay for that, for example. Definitely. And, and I've heard the same thing from a few other content writers that you have to be revisiting your, your blogs, your articles. Are you like, you're not necessarily changing the keywords, right? You're not necessarily changing the keywords or are you? I am. <laughs> oh, you are. So the reader intent for some keywords can change. As an example, the remote work situation over the past few months. But there's other smaller keywords that slightly have an intent that changes. Also, the volume for certain keywords, for example, uh, project manager um, advantages could be higher than project manager benefits. So after a while, or if you see that your content isn't ranking, isn't doing well, isn't bringing in any um, sales, because this is also an important aspect. If you see this, you have to also revisit your keywords 
you can use Google Search Console and see, honestly, you just look at the keywords for which you rank already, but um, the ranking is not as high. And then what you're going to do is you're going to add that keyword uh, where it just fits. So you're not going to be stuffing that content. You're just adding yep. it organically. And you're also going to, you know, find any new keywords that go into there and make sure you have uh, all the keywords, the secondary keywords that are related to your main one as well. But there's also situations when your first, you know, the main keyword can change and, you know, that's fine. If you see a better opportunity somewhere and your content doesn't do at all, well at all, go for it. Right. So of course, I mean, what it does say is it's uh, it's a constant, it's a constant work. I mean, it's not just something that happens yes, one time. Love that question. <laughs> and, and, uh, and tell me, I, I noticed, uh, tell me about the research because I think like in research, what I've seen a lot of writers do, and I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily a writer. I do, mm -hmm. I write short copy, but I mostly do video and podcasts and things like that. Um, when you do research, what I've seen other folks do is they would go into similar, similarly written articles. They will find ideas that they like to, to, to basically talk about in their own words and maybe add some other trendy or a thing that is a little bit more contextual to their company. Um, and this is like on a super high level. What are some of the things that you think are really important in doing that take a little bit of more work? Mm -hmm. Well, you've got two situations here. You have, you know, the common situation where you want to rank for a keyword. Now, in this case, you have to look at all of the results and see what, you know, what they mentioned, what they missed on. But the first 10 results is often not enough. And you need to look into way more articles as well as maybe some other types of content like videos. Uh, ebooks, research that ranks, not ranks, but that tackles that same topic. And now, what would we be looking, what would we be looking at when we are looking at these pieces of content, mm -hmm. what, what we are trying to pay attention to? Yes. Okay. So to please Google, because this is the main thing you first start doing. And then we're going to be talking about how you please the reader as well. To please Google, you kind of have to uh, tackle the same headings, same keywords, same ideas. If a person mentions a book, uh, uh, there's a high chance you will have to mention it. Uh, this is unfortunately how Google works. If you want to also please the reader, you will have to come up with that unique thing that is yours. Now, what I've been doing is depending on the topic, either reaching out to people to get their quotes and insights or doing uh, some small research as much as I can, you know, for a, let's say you are writing a guide on becoming a UX writer. You can take a few hours extra and do the research on what the most common skills are based on job descriptions, uh, you know, just what people are looking for from right. um, a role like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is for the, in the situation where you want to rank, but, uh, there's also um, some keywords that, you know, they have a high volume, but they also have a super high keyword difficulty. Um, usually keywords like work productivity, leadership, and anything in that area. 
for these, the problem is that the ideas kind of repeat themselves. So what you might look into doing is finding your unique point of view and getting that across. Right, but you're still using you're still using the right the, these keywords, but you're you're changing the context, right? You're you're mm -hmm. adapting the context to uh, to your audience effectively. Yes, yes, like. A classic example is like, you know, how uh, multitasking used to be a thing in the past and now it's not and everybody's against multitasking and, you know, those ideas. <laughs> I, oh, it's, it's, that's a fascinating topic. Now, multitasking, it's like, I mean, it's so it so depends, right? Like it depends on on uh, on so many factors. What, what, do you, what do you like since you mentioned it? Uh, what, do you, what do you think about multitasking? Uh, I don't do it <laughs> because you know my my belief is that you can't put your whole focus and all of your ideas into one task like writing if you're also doing something else at the same time so i personally like just finishing one task and then moving on to the next one as much as possible but i do believe it also depends on the person but you know all the research that's been done in the past years shows that multitasking is not the way to go. <laughs> no, for sure. And I mean, it doesn't make sense. You're just basically doing, uh, you're just slowing down yourself in, in uh, mm -hmm. I mean, fe mm -hmm. it feels productive though. It might feel productive in the moment. What mm -hmm. do you, um, uh, what do you think about Gary Vee? Like I, uh, I'm curious, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been watching some of his content and, uh, you know, in, in general, I do believe he kind of has the same ideas as, you know, most of the others. But what I like about him is that he encourages uh, just being an early adopter for, um, for example, TikTok. You know, he has been promoting, I'm not sure if he's doing this still, maybe he has changed his mind, but he's been promoting uh, brands going and using TikTok, which is, you know, a network he wouldn't be like, oh, yes, this is going to be my next network uh, of choice. So, yeah. Have you have you tried TikTok? Uh, yes, I went on it because you know I'm a, I like anyone want to see how it works, especially as a marketer, you want to kind of test out every channel possible. Right. And I ended up spending the whole weekend, like forty eight <laughs> hours on it, uh, but that was it because I you know I understand it, I'm okay. <laughs> it my issue with TikTok is that. It takes a lot of effort to produce that regular content, make sure you have some new ideas and also monetize it. Uh, that's for individuals. Like if you want to be an influencer for brands, I think it's genius. Uh, a brand I checked recently is Chipotle. I think that's mm -hmm. how you pronounce it. <laughs> yes, that's, you're uh, right. You know <laughs> that they have, uh, you know, you know, short videos with of course they showcase their food but you know there's also that uh viral kind of fun effect they are adding to it to bring in the newer generations as well yeah i mean uh TikTok is 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 really uh like what it does have this high organic reach where you can where mm -hmm. you can get a lot yeah. of followers Definitely. pretty pretty quickly um actually i started my account recently um, just mm -hmm. because I think I'll, I'll be producing video because I'm, I'm doing videos on YouTube and on LinkedIn. I'm like, well, I'm going to add TikTok, see what mm -hmm. happens. Uh, I mostly think it's for consumer brands, but um, I've also seen actually some, you know, uh, just individuals who talk about business. But again, 
you might want to add in that one aspect into this. Yeah, I mean, I think like you're probably not going to monetize it in any uh, short for short term mm -hmm. future. But the way in, in the way that I look at right now at content is like I don't even consider monetization at all. What I look at is um, as just learning how to produce higher quality content and at a higher volume. And then even if it gets like two views, I don't I'm not too disappointed because what I understand is that like three years from now, when a piece of content that I will produce will have like, you know, like 50, 100, 200 likes, whatever, um, that would be the point where you could get um, a brand and you can get inbound inquiries and you could get uh, opportunities versus right now. It's more of a it's more of like a, it's a base camp for your training. Yes, I love that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, when people create content, the first thing they want is, you know, they kind of magically think that's going to bring them automatically sales. But the first thing that you need to do with content is to make sure that you actually have something to say, something that's unique, and you're not just repeating the same ideas. Unfortunately, in tech, this is an issue because if you want to rank, for a keyword, you kind of have to repeat the same topics over and over again. But the first thing you really should be focusing on is growing your top leadership, which is super important for Google these days. And trying to look more into, you know, instead of just focusing on ranking for certain keywords, look into creating research, studies, reports, and more evergreen content. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and also, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's just like I found when people say, oh, creativity is really important. I'm not creative or I don't have ideas. Um, the biggest thing I found is that creativity is like a muscle. You, it's actually trained. You train by producing every time. And usually it sucks at first. Uh, and the pieces of content you produce are, are garbage most of the time. Uh, and then, but what happens ends up happening is that you keep coming up with new ideas. And when you keep coming up with new ideas, you are able to train your mind to come up with higher quality creative ideas. And then over time, everybody's gonna be saying you're so creative. Yes, uh, there's actually a book, but I don't remember its name. And it's based on this idea that you can train creativity and it has exercises, but I don't remember it. Uh, what I've been doing is, uh, in my case, I have just a Google Docs where I put in all of my ideas and it's just titled article ideas and it has like 1000 uh, topics and kind of unique ideas which I might want at some point to tackle. And it's good to have them on hand because you can incorporate them in other pieces. You can, you know, cut some of the ideas out if you notice they aren't as good. And you just always have an idea on hand so you don't ever run into a writer's block or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's like your repository, right? Uh, yes. That makes sense. You also, you also do, uh, I mean, you also are interested in mental health. Uh, what, what are you doing yeah. from, from this perspective? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how I got started with this is, you know, I would just go to the supermarket every evening and I would see all of those people, like they worked for eight hours, they would do shopping, they would go home and just do it all again. So I was like, this is not okay. Life is not all about working and working and working again. So uh, 
even at my past job, I started gradually writing about topics like uh, happiness at work and, you know, how to choose the right career for you mm-hmm. and to make sure you're not stuck in a place that's only going to kill you literally at some point. So um, in time, I've also noticed there's issues like suicide at workplace and just depression because of work. And there's also the anti-work movement that uh, resulted from this. And these topics aren't as often discussed. And I am using my medium, which is writing, to write upon these, you know, as much as possible. And, you know, I also have some clients that focus on employee engagement Mm -hmm. and all of those aspects, because I do think these are all issues that ultimately impact just the economy in general, every company and their productivity, profits and all that. Yeah, it's a big topic. It really is. Mm -hmm. I, I think about it a lot, too, where like, well, people get stuck in something they don't want to do, the longer they keep doing it the harder it is to switch to something else and they end up spending for like decades, pretty much the whole life doing something they didn't want to. Yes, because they get that security of, you know, having a set job, having the salary, and they are also very afraid of switching to something else, which is honestly normal, but you need, you know, just come up with a plan, you know, whatever it is, as long as it's kind of realistic, it will work at some point. What do you think people could do? Like, I mean, I, I think like for, for young people, it's it's a bit easier, right? Like somebody mm-hmm. coming out of yeah, college, definitely. like the best thing you can do is like not to get a job straight away or like do something that, like don't try to monetize anything if you can. That's like the mm-hmm. go and explore. Uh, but for people who are, you know, let's say a couple years in to their thing and they're like, oh, I don't really want to do it. What, what do you what do you think they what how how could they go about that? Yeah, so as you mentioned, there is a huge difference between coming across this problem early on and later. Early on, you can just always change your career. For example, I actually went to my bachelor's degree was you know to become an English teacher, and then in my second year, I realized this this wasn't for me. So that's how I came across marketing. I was just, you know, looking into a different field that I would love being a part of. So a career change for me at that point wasn't that hard. Of course, I wish I had done it earlier. I wish I had started with freelancing earlier. But yeah, Um, if you've been, you know, with your job for a while or, you know, you are not in your youth anymore, a career change is honestly always a realistic thing. You, uh, it's, you know, like any career change, you study on the side, you start doing your own project and you look into a job, but you have to be willing, which is a very common situation to accept a lower pay and to just start it all over again from a junior position and then move on to your management position because you might be a manager at the moment, but you don't like doing that. Another option is for you to, you know, start your own business or go f- just freelance. Uh, a lot of freelance writers have actually started freelancing in their forties or so. Uh, as long as you realize at some point that something is not okay, there's always room for a change. You just take it very systematically. And, um, 
another thing is to just not give up. I, before starting freelancing, mm-hmm. I always had this fear that it would be like a lot of work to find clients and do the uh, bookkeeping and all that. But in time, I realized that even more than writing, I actually like finding clients and even doing the bookkeeping part and just answering emails. So uh, this being said, I do think that you really do need to find something that you like doing. You. Honestly, I don't personally have a huge passion to be like, oh my God, this is the thing I want to monetize. Like I like writing, but you yeah. know, sometimes you don't like writing about all topics or so, and you don't like your writing to be focused on ranking. You want to just put your thoughts on paper. So there will never be, uh, and this shouldn't sound very pessimistic, but you know, there will never be, uh, an opportunity for you to do exactly what you want. Like you can sell your art, but you have to do the bookkeeping for it or you can uh, anything else. <laughs> That's a great point. Thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. bringing this up. Cause I think like, like there will always will be the aspects of your job that suck. Now, yeah. if you get really big, then you could totally um, hire other people and they would do it mm-hmm. and um, and you would going to be doing your thing, which is great. And that's what we want. Um, but it, in yeah, totally makes sense. I think one of the reasons why people don't want to switch is that they are they're really afraid, like afraid of trying to make a make a change. And it's hard to make a change mentally, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm going to go from 100,000 to 40,000 and doing like some sort of a, uh, like no, no name job. And the worst part is that we as people are so driven by opinions of others. So my friends gonna look at me like I'm a complete loser. Mm-hmm. The thing I would recommend to anyone who's thinking into making this change uh, as much as possible. Like if you're young, try to make a change, a positive change before you start having a family, more responsibilities and all that because that's when you're just stuck and you can't take five months off work or so. That's why, you know, for anyone who's young and thinking of, you know, choosing a career, it's just best to kind of test different fields. And, you know, before you jump into uh, going to college, one thing I wish I had done would be to just, you know, maybe travel for a year, then try some internships in different fields to actually see if you like the tech world, if you like working in the office, if you like working in a museum, if you like whatever you think would be right for you. Yeah, because... and I mean, I'm, no, I'm I just, just wanted to say that. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I wanted to say that, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was 100% convinced that I wanted to be an English teacher because that was what I was best at. So I didn't want to just uh, find a more uh, difficult field, even if that might have been the right choice for me. So that's where the first fear starts, like as early on as, you know, just school years. Your English is good. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, and you studied, you yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm, we're, we're not far from each other. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. but you uh, you studied uh, back at home, right? You studied in Bucharest. Yeah. No, I'm in the western part of the country. Right, but you you studied <laughs> uh, you studied in Romania, right? Yes. Yeah. Any had any ideas to uh, to travel and you know just uh, do a year or two years uh, as an exchange program? 
Uh, yes, but you know, the main factor that comes into this is money. Obviously, when I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> when I was in high school, like I would never think of taking a year off to travel because I had very little savings. You know, I didn't have any job at the time, obviously. And then uh, in college, I did not take any job in my first year because I just assumed that I was going to be a teacher and you don't need uh, a job to gain experience. You just need to study and become a good teacher at the end. So uh, I couldn't really afford to uh, travel and do the things that I would want to. So this aspect does play when you kind of want to experience what you like doing and uh, it's not going to always be possible for you to travel but uh, there is actually there is this website it's called work away mm -hmm. work away and what you do is you go and work for roughly four hours for um, a person somewhere in the world and usually in like uh just beautiful places maybe yeah. in the countryside or so you help them build their house and it's often it's physical jobs like cooking taking care mm -hmm. of dogs there's also some marketing jobs and more of those but the thing is that you get your stay and food for free so you only have to put in the money for your uh, transportation now, this is something I did not know about at the time, and I wish I had done that because now with a full-time job, freelancing technically, it's kind of more difficult than, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are options, like you said. I think there are options. And look, wait for 2021. We're going to be uh, hopefully uh, back uh, flying again, and you could just yes. literally live anywhere. Yes, yes. yes, I'm actually thinking of starting my digital nomad journey. <laughs> Well, there you go. Um, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I've planned everything out. So. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> where, 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 where about you going? So I took this time to actually research every country and so and kind of see where I'm actually going everywhere. And I'm starting like from Croatia, Hungary, going through like Austria, going through the Baltic states, and I'm going to Korea, Japan, back to Europe. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> Uh, having a plan is always always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Alexander, are, are there any things that we have missed in the conversation? Any final messages you'd like to leave the audience with? Mm -hmm. uh, well, there's lots of things to be discussed, but you know, for content in general, uh, if anyone is planning to start creating more content or just restart the content they create because this is an issue many people have content that doesn't work uh you do have to do the research all over again and see what your exact needs are uh the resources that you can put into this like if you can afford uh, writing often mm -hmm. hiring a writer doing uh advanced surveys and creating that type of content and also i always advise people uh this is what i've done all the time to experiment with every channel possible um before you jump in thinking that TikTok is not for you or that twitter is bad try that network uh try it for honestly a couple of years would work best because twitter for instance is not going to work in the first month 
you need to start getting followers and all that. So yeah, it's a long term yeah. thing. Yes. So not being afraid to experiment with mediums, channels, and any resource you have available. Uh, uh, you know, there's companies that have, uh, example, blend pack. They mm -hmm. did, you know, the YouTube videos where they blended everything up. They were the first from their industry to do these kinds of videos. And that's how they won that increased brand awareness and everything else, including sales that came up with. That's very cool. Uh, actually, I forgot to ask you, who are some of the cool marketers or content, uh, like marketers or companies or even, or maybe content writers or YouTubers mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you look up to and you like mm -hmm. the type of content they create? Mm -hmm. uh, I specifically like for one, uh, Brian D. Um, mm. from uh, Backlinko, that's his company. Uh, first of all, his style of writing is the one I would recommend for anyone, at least in tech, to follow if they want to rank for content. It's just very clean, very easy to follow. And also his content is, uh, the, con the type of content you would want to create is just uh, evergreen content that he updates on a regular basis, like I mm -hmm. said. Then there is, uh, for, um, there is uh, Hrefs. Oh yeah, they're great. Uh, Yes, the thing with their blog post is that uh, every single post they have is tied to their product. Now, I am aware this is difficult to do for some type of companies. It's not always easy to just push in your mm -hmm. product. In their case, it just it flows smoothly, but it's a very good approach to content. Uh, and there's you know there's a, a couple of other companies like them. Uh, I think Unbounce, but I don't want to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're uh, Canadian. I hope it's them. Anyway. <laughs> they... No, that's good. We, we have two names. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they started, I'm thinking if it's them, but I think it's them. Anyway, so Unbounce started their content strategy before they launched. So uh, they published a lot even before the launch and they started, you know, their thought leadership and brand awareness as early on as possible. Uh, another example of, you know, similar content is co-schedule and uh, they are focused on content in general, but again, they have very good uh, content pieces you can check out. And I honestly, most of the time I look up to brands, of course, mm -hmm. behind those brands, there are uh, writers or professionals, you know, there's lots of freelance writers that are amazing at their work. And uh, there's also lots of um, just professionals in one field like UX writing, UX professionals, web developers who can actually put together amazing content. And another thing I recommend is uh, for anyone to check out on a medium. Um, that's where mostly um, like data science experts and web developers post their content. And mm. you can see that, you know, it's not optimized to rank, but it has just always unique insights, unique facts. And that's honestly what everyone should uh, try to get as much as possible while also fitting in the ranking uh, attempt. Oh, 
and we'll link it all in the show notes so people could go and check them out because okay. uh, uh, so we'll have that. And yeah, I think Medium has really good articles. I've seen some of their their articles are super in depth, like for for mm -hmm. for people who are on it. Yeah. Alexander, where's everybody could find you online? Mm -hmm. Well, on LinkedIn, uh, I am open to LinkedIn requests. And if you have any question, if anyone wants to find more on content strategy or so, feel free to reach out to me. Thank you. This was a good chat. Thank you for coming. Okay. Thank you too. I love the questions. This was Alexander Code. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. Go check out Alexander's work on her website. She's doing, she's got a lot of examples of her long form content. And if you need help with white papers, eBooks, uh, that type of stuff, website copy, uh, she might be a great resource for you. Uh, otherwise I will be back with new cool guests soon. Bye.